It's 2021. Simulate is back. Uh, welcome to the new episode, the first episode of 2021, a year that will, will be much better than 2020. I'm Adam Marsh. I'm back again. I'm delighted to welcome our two co-hosts, Daryl Buxton. Hello. And Rebecca Taylor. Hi, everyone. Cool. So we're, we're back. We are normally, this time of year, we'd be looking at either um, what Oscar nominations were going to be, be uh, up and announced, and we'd be looking forward to the ceremony in, in March time, and we'd be discussing which films not got nominated, which films have got nominated, which films didn't deserve to be nominated. But so we can't do that at the moment because they've pushed the Oscars back to April. So they're not announcing the nominations until March uh, and the, uh, with the ceremony in April. And also, because 2020 was, well, 2020, um, a lot of the films have, uh, have been bumped to 2021. So uh, it's a bit of an odd year for the Oscars, I must admit. Um, so we thought, instead of looking at this year's Oscars, we should flash back to an old Oscars episode. So we should look back to, an arguably, the strongest best picture lineup in Oscar history. I'm going to put that out there as potentially the argument. Also, you know, it was, it was a year where amazing films were birthed. It was amazing films like Rocky, films like Taxi Driver, films like Network, films like All the President's Men. And films like Bound for Glory, all nominated for the Oscar that year, all released in 1976. And also, I was released in 1976, so a great year all around. <laughs> so we're going to look back to the 1976 films, the 1977 Oscar nomination, Oscar ceremony, and look at, the, uh, look at that year's Oscars and just see whether, A, they hold up, whether there are other films that should have been nominated that year, who was robbed that year, uh, has history proven people right and proven people wrong. Um, so let's let's go back to 1976 and let's start with the best picture winner then, shall we? Rocky. Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Let's go for it. One of my favourites, I must admit. Really? Um... Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think it's one of those movies where I watched at a certain age um, and loved. And obviously, I was I grew up in the eighties, so we were getting Rocky films every two years <laughs> throughout the the seventies and eight, early eight, late seventies, early eighties, and mid eighties. So it was always there. Stallone was a huge star. I love the Rocky films, and I think a lot of people do. And I think people maybe dismiss the Rocky franchise based on three and four, and potentially five and onwards, rather than looking back to the originals, but. I don't know. What, 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 you sound like you had a cross to bear there, Becky, on, on, on Rocky. Well, actually, it's, it's funny that you say about um, growing up in the 80s and, you know, Rocky always being there. Because I had a conversation after I'd seen Rocky with my mum and I said, I thought I'd seen Rocky. Um, and then I told her the synopsis. She's like, I think that's Rocky Five, And we were getting all our Rockies <laughs> mixed up. <laughs> so um yes I thought I'd seen Rocky but I actually hadn't seen the first one I'd seen Rocky 5 um when we when we figured it out ooh, but ooh. not not a good place yeah. to start ooh <laughs> well this is a person that has only seen the last lord of the rings so okay. and hasn't seen the ones before so there's a thing going here I do tend to watch the last film or you know in the middle of a franchise without watching the first one well, at least at least you've seen the Lord of the Rings that won the Oscar, though. So uh... yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, with Rocky, um, obviously it's so iconic, and you know, with the 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 score and everything, for for someone like me that hasn't really seen men, you know, many of the Rockies, um, you know, that's always been something that's been referenced in popular culture, and um, I know about. Um, so yeah, I I would say that I enjoyed the film, um, but I'd be intrigued to to sort of find out from you, Adam, why you love it so much and also why it really won the best picture because I really enjoyed it but I wouldn't say it was like I wasn't blown away by it put it that way well yeah we, we were discussing me and Daryl discussing that just before we started the podcast weren't we Daryl about, about yeah. the perception of Rocky on yeah. uh, 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 in 1976 and then with its Oscar nominations and subsequent wins um, yeah you, you, you were saying uh, about how it was a popular film People liked it and they were happy for it to be nominated. Yeah, of course, 1976 was the uh, American bicentennial year. And and it's odd that as, as far as I know, as far as I recall, I don't think there was a film made to sort of commemorate the bicentennial, certainly not a historical one, you know. There was no film made about the, the revolution or anything or, or, or certainly nothing that was a major release. And... Um, and as you can tell from a lot of the other nominations that we're going to talk about, these were quite sort of cynical times in Hollywood. You know, you've got this young breed of directors that had come through and um, we'll, we'll talk about all the president's men later on. But of course, you, 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 you've got a situation that's, that's very similar to what we've got now in American politics, where you, you've got a disgraced president. And... Um, uh, and so a lot of these young kids that were coming through making movies um, were actually quite bitter and cynical about the state of America. And so in 1976, when the country wanted to sort of celebrate its achievements, um, Rocky was almost a perfect film because um, that sort of addressed the American dream and the way in which any bum can, can sort of pick themselves off the floor and rise to to the top of the world, you know, and uh, I think that just clicked with uh, with audiences and with certain critics. Although I think there were a lot of people involved in cinema, either in production or in terms of film analysis and and criticism, who looked down a little bit on Rocky. And we were talking earlier about how films sometimes get a nomination almost as though that's their award, that's their recognition. Oh, you've got no chance of winning the Oscar, but we're going we're gonna to nominate you, we're going to recognise you. And I think there was a perception with Rocky that that was the case with that. Oh, we'll stick it on the list, we'll say it's nominated, and then we'll, we'll give the award to, to something better, you know. And, uh, um, but obviously this wave amongst the voters carried it through. And I think rightly so. Um, I may not have said that around the time or or, or sort of soon after the time, but uh, um, as, as, a, as a younger man, I'd have been right there with the cynic. You know, I'd have been saying, oh, yeah, I like this bitter, twisted view of America. You know, um, I think Rocky's a film that really, really, really holds up. And a lot of that is not necessarily to do with this sort of American dream aspect, but I think it's a more personal thing. I think you look at the story of Sylvester Stallone, sort of struggling, struggling actor, struggling writer, trying to get into theatre, trying to get into the movie business, and suddenly makes it. 
And Rocky's story almost uh, parallels that in boxing terms. And um, so it's almost the story of Sylvester Stallone. And I think people in the film business connected with that and thought, yeah, this is one of our own who's, who's sort of risen from uh, the, the basement and become a star, you know, which is what Rocky does in the film. Yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that, I mean, I, I, I guess I was similar to Becky's opinion, I guess, on it. When I first looked at this year's nominations and just think, I mean, it, it wasn't so much like, oh, I went back and reread old Oscar-nominated Best Picture lists for fun when I was in my teenage years. But I discovered Taxi Driver when I was about 18 and watched Taxi Driver and just it absolutely blew me away. And it's still one of my top 10 films of all time. So every time I looked at the Oscar nominations, every time I looked at Rocky, all I could see was Robert De Niro's sad face not winning the Oscar. And it was just, I, I, he was absolutely robbed, absolutely robbed, and, and very adamant about that. But as the years have gone by, my appreciation of what Stallone does in Rocky and actually how gritty Rocky is. I mean, yeah, it's seen yeah. as, a, as a fluffy, fluffy, nice Rocky piece. And yes, Rocky Three and Rocky Four are... are, are double montage movies, you know what I mean? We've got two Rocky montages per movie, you know. Yeah. Whereas Rocky 1, there's grit to it. There's this, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not a feel-good movie, is it? No, not in, not in many ways, no. But there is definitely um, complicated character yeah. um, profiles for all the characters in the movies. Brother-in-law who, who knocks about his sister, you know, you got the sister who's painfully shy. All that, that kind of dynamic between those, those three characters in particular. Yeah. Do you know what, Adam? It's it's actually set in the same world as Taxi Driver, I would say. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd agree with that as well. I mean, it's definitely just up the road in Philadelphia, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. The same thing's happening. You, you've got that rundown apartment. You've got that struggling to get by, you know, uh, being a heavy for the mob. You know, it, it's definitely in that world, that gritty yeah. world. And people often look at it and say, oh, it's a feel-good, feel-good nothing movie. And yeah. it's like, this, this character, Rocky Balboa, is one step away from being Travis Bickle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, if Adrian wasn't there. Yeah, he's, he's the Travis who gets lucky. Yeah, 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 definitely. But I think, I think you're definitely right on, on that sort of 1976, 77 period where you've got a, depose, you know, a, a resigned president in disgrace, the most shocking abuse of power by an American president yeah. until tell, tell recently. Yeah. <laughs> until, until last week, you know. Um, it's definitely, um, it definitely resonated that, that you can't trust government, you can't trust the institutions. And that seeps through all the movies pretty much in this thing. Uh, with all, all the president's men being the obvious direct adaptation of, of, of Watergate, but it definitely in Taxi Driver. Even Rocky does it though. Sort of halfway through Rocky, there's there are points where the powers that be are sort of discussing the the the, the fight that they've arranged, and they're sort of starting to try and manipulate it, and and try and put a spin on it, and so on. And you just get these little hints in the background, even in a film like Rocky that things aren't quite right in America. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get that bit where, where Rocky's like nervous before the fight goes to the arena and the guy who's arranging with a big fat cigar comes out, hey, Rocky, how you doing? You know, and Rocky goes, the, the picture's wrong, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I wear red shorts, not white shorts. I'll go around and he goes, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, that's literally, that's how most of America felt at that time. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what's right or wrong. It doesn't matter, you know. 
because you're going to lose anyway. Um, and and that, that, like I said, that, that sense of that, that cynicism is in Rocket, but maybe not to the extent as it is in Taxi Driver or is in Network or is in All the President's Men. But as I say, I think that's almost the point of Rocky, is it says this is a film that could be like those other movies if we chose it to be. Mm. But we're we're gonna we're gonna write a different ending to it. We're gonna have the, the, the Travis Bickle figure, the loser, the loner, who makes good, who actually manages to pull himself up by the bootstraps and make something out of his life to show it can be done. Yeah. But but there's always this element within the film that it could all go disastrously wrong at any time. Yeah, I mean, and the, and the fact that he loses at the end, yeah, yeah, is, is both brilliant for a, for a sort of like the underdog storyline because it, it undercuts the sort of like American dream and the sort of like populist, oh, we'll let him win sort of thing. But it also, again, seeps into that into that cynicism about American thing. Well, yeah. of course he's not going to win. If he went to points, he's yeah. not going to win because yeah. he's not the champ. He's not the flashy boxer. Yeah. He's but of course we we all go home at the end thinking, yeah, Rock, Rocky won. Rocky morally won. Yeah. yeah. So you get the best of both worlds. What what an ending. He loses and he wins. Exactly, you yeah. You can't beat that. And and, and must admit, as I've gotten older, I, I, I start to appreciate happy endings more and more in movies. Yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. I was, when I was 18, 19, I was just like, oh, everything's got to die. Everything's got to die at the end. Otherwise, it's not a good film. And it's like, well, <laughs> now I'm more like, oh, we have a happy ending. It'd be lovely. Yeah, he's come on and have his tea. Yeah. I think the, the the genius of Rocky is is that um, uh, my my favourite film of two thousand and six, thirty years later, my best picture Oscar for that year would have gone to Rocky Balboa, where okay. he, he he basically tells the same story thirty years later with Rocky as an older character, and you get that's the same sense in both movies that halfway through the at the start of the film in the first five minutes of both of those films. You're thinking, this story idea is absolutely ludicrous. This would never happen. Halfway through the film, you're thinking, this guy has got no chance of winning this fight. What, why are they even telling us this story? And then by the time you get to the fight scene, you're standing up on the edge of your seat, punching the air and going, come on, Rocky. Mm. Yeah, I was, I mean, and it, and it grabs you in both of those films. There's I mean, there's roots in there's roots in the real world and the boxing world. Definitely, fighters do come back way long past their prime yeah, and try yeah. and recapture, and occasionally do win. You know, occasionally yeah, do. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, but it's interesting. It's interesting when like when Stallone did that. The reception was you know the reception was good, but it wasn't critically. It wasn't overwhelmingly like oh my god, it's great to see Rocky back and that kind of stuff. But when Clint Eastwood does it. With his sort of like stony faced characters, and he come back in like Gran Torino, it was like, oh, a nice swan song to that character. And it's just interesting the hierarchy of where Stallone is and where Clint Eastwood yeah. is on, on that pecking order. They've both got similar types of characters milking that last character one more time, you know. Yeah, I think it even took Clint some time to get that sort of uh, um, acceptance, you know. It probably wasn't until Unforgiven in the early 90s that he was sort of accepted into into the Hollywood higher echelons like that. I mean, you think about 1976, he, he made uh, um, The Outlaw Josie Wales that year, one of, one of his greatest westerns. Didn't get a sniff of the nominations. Yeah. Should yeah. have done, maybe, but 
Well, maybe it was just that westerns were played out by then, man. Yeah, yeah, you know? could be, could be. Well, they're one of the genres that that have always struggled to get Oscar Oscar recognition. I think so. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to some of the other other nominations, and we'll we'll feed back into Rocky and see how they play off each other. But um, as we've mentioned, the other the other four nominations were um, Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese's. Um, masterpiece for me one of his masterpieces definitely um network bound for glory and all the president's men where do we want to start with those shall we go next up for taxi driver by all means (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm always up always up for talking about taxi driver yeah um yeah i'm a fan of scorsese so um but this wasn't one of the i don't think this was one of the first scorsese films i saw i i've seen this one more recently um but like Adam, I was just blown away on, on the film. It, it's just amazing in the sort of um, way that uh, it portrays New York and that the fact that, you know, New York is a character within itself. Yeah, I just thought it was really clever. Yeah, and I really like the um, sort of social commentary behind the film. Yeah, it's definitely got something to say. Yeah. <laughs> Whether people want to hear it, what he's got to say is, is another matter. Um, but I, I, find, I just find it a, an endlessly rewatchable movie. I can, I can watch it again and again and pull something new from it every single time. Um, when I was teaching screenwriting um, a few years ago, I, I utilised the opening five, ten minutes of that movie as in a brilliant way of establishing the characters in the city and the city as a character. It's so well done. You feel like you're in a dream right from the very start where the sort of like blurred out neon and the taxi driver light, you know, the, the headlights of the taxi driver. Oh, it's so good. So, so good. Well, it, it actually bookends like that, doesn't it? Because you, you fade out on that as well. So, uh, um, and again, that, that ending is brilliant because it's, it's as good as the ending of Rocky in that you sort of get two things going on. The audience can either come out accepting what they've actually seen on screen at face value or there's a hint that maybe that last that that final five or ten minutes is is that all just happening in in travis bickle's head and, i think he definitely and then, plays with that all yeah, the way through yeah, the movie yeah and then the final the final shots sort of imitating the the opening shots um and having that very sort of drifting, dreamlike quality to them uh, really emphasises that. And the audience comes out not knowing what what to think and what to believe. And you sort of get that with Rocky, in a way, in, in that you've, you've got this dichotomy where, OK, we've just seen the guy lose, so why do I feel so good? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I feel so great about what happened to him? Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, Taxi Driver is almost the inverse of that, but it sort of it parallels Rocky in a way. Um, but yeah, what what a film! I, I think um, I mean Rocky's a great film, but I think Taxi Driver is a masterpiece. It is an enduring picture of America, um, as you as you say, Becky. It, it it sort of adopts New York as a character, and it almost turns New York into hell. Mm. Is the thing definitely, you know? It, it 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 becomes a not necessarily a dreamlike place, but a nightmare-like place. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, there are scenes set during the day, but you know, it doesn't feel that way. No, Even the no, daytime no. feels like nighttime, you know, in this movie. 
Yeah. And again, what's 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 the film about? What are the film's roots? Because I, I was talking about how Westerns rarely got nominated. And famously, The Searchers never got nominated in 1956. The classic John Ford Western, perhaps the greatest Western of all time, didn't get an Oscar nomination. But Taxi Driver almost gets The Searchers Oscar nomination for it. You know, it sort of brings that plot into the hell of mid 70s New York. Mm. It does feel like that, you know, we talked about some movies getting nominations. It feels like Taxi Driver was in that one as well, where it's that yeah. great little movie, that, that could kind of thing, that got nominated. Scorsese is a young director, a sort of almost untried director at this point, yeah. you know, and uh, still finding his feet in Hollywood. And um, Yeah, you can't win an Oscar with your third movie in 1970. No, 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 no. You've got, you got to have done a, a raft of movies. Yeah, you've got to pay your dues, yeah. Pay your yeah. dues, and then the movie you should have won for, we won't give it you. <laughs> but the year after, when you make that other movie, that's not quite as good, we'll give it you for that. That's that's how Oscars work. How many times does that happen? Yeah, <laughs> all, yeah. all the time, all the time. I mean, the, the other uh, couple of points I'd like to make about Taxi Driver are that it's all it's also a Vietnam movie, mm. or a, po- a post-Vietnam movie. And again, it's a political film. Mm. It's made two years after Watergate, and there's this entire subplot. All, almost half the film is about uh, the the sort of political machinations that are going on in the city, which Travis Bickle even gets involved in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. In, in in more ways than one, you know. But uh, so, Becky, you 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 were going to sort of talk about it being being a, a Vietnam movie, then? Yeah. yeah. What I was going to say is, you really get the sense of loneliness, you know, that is just. And been neglected and you know forgotten and you know the fact that many of these men came out of the Vietnam War you know scarred and had no support from from the system and yeah I just feel like that's the biggest message that I sort of got in the film in the sense of like that feeling of loneliness and not having you know literally you could do anything that you wanted to do and no one would stop you or 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 check if you're okay you know he's completely neglected and sort of New York's um you know got loads of people and massive skyscrapers and you know you're amongst people but he's but he could have been in the desert essentially because he's just lost yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you think do you think that's what America wanted to hear in 1976? Because this this is only, you know, the Vietnam War has not not been finished all that long, you know, and uh, um, and suddenly here's this this film that's taking a very cynical view about people that have come back from the war. And and is is that the message that, that uh, the American population needed in their films at the time? You know, that was the thing, the main agenda on a lot of filmmakers at the time, you know, the sort of anti-establishment and, you know. So, yeah, I think it it goes along with that theme. It might not necessarily be what they needed, but, yeah, I do think that was the message that was trying to get across. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. it's one of those messages that America never wants in their, <laughs> in, their, in their movies, but somebody's got to give that message. It's, yeah. like, it's like, you know, here's the bitter pill. You've got to take it. You've got to take it. Here it is. Yeah, and, and Holly, Hollywood, which is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty much left-wing most of the time and certainly was in 1976. I think if America didn't want that message, the filmmaking community were, were delighted by it. Yeah. I think they, they were thinking, here's a guy who understands what America is all about. 
um, in Scorsese. Unpacking that character, I mean, it's like, you talk about the Vietnam War, these people were drafted at 18, 19 years old or whatever. They, they were in the war for four or five years, then left, and they're in the mid-20s, gone through a horrible, horrible life-altering events without really having the sort of like emotional and social um, ways of handling it and processing that. So they come out yeah. in the mid-20s. And there's and no there's no support mechanism. There's no support mechanism. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you get these people, like Travis Bickle's perfect example of that in this, is that he has no social skills whatsoever. He doesn't know how to, to, to talk to people in regular settings. You see him being interviewed in the opening scenes, and he's not... He, he, he answers every question as if it's as if it's a, a shot at him. Every yeah, question yeah. he responds as if he's like defending himself. He's not, and he keeps backtracking and going forward. And he's not sure how to deal with that. I mean, and that obviously reaches its peak when he goes on a date with Sybil Shepherd and he takes her to a sex cinema. <laughs> and he's like, you know, what, what, <laughs> what? Who would do that? Only someone who has no social skills whatsoever would think that's an okay thing to do. Yeah, to to the point where the quest that he goes on, he I, I I think he's he's trying to rescue somebody who doesn't actually want to be rescued. Yeah, who's you know you can talk about the morality and the um, uh, the sort of psychology of 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 all of that, but I I think that character, whether whether or not she should be, I th- I think that the Jodie Foster character is. If if not happy in her world, she's settled and secure in her world. And this knight in shining armor comes riding in, and, and and she she doesn't seem to want to know. She doesn't seem to want the um, what he's offering. You know, well, and, and equally, I don't think he really cares whether she wants to be rescued or not. He's not rescuing her. He's rescuing himself. He's finding a path for himself so it's all selfish <laughs> and and have, having having been through however many tours and however many years of violence he's he's comfortable with using firearms and again part of his psychology and part of his makeup is that uh, you know shooting bullets at people is achieves my aim it does what i want so yeah he he can confront what he sees as the bad guys in the film, and they are bad guys, but uh, the whole thing seems pretty futile, which which is a great metaphor for for the state of America, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's it's fascinating when looking at these movies years and years onwards. You can tell which ones. Um, most of them have a resonance beyond the nineteen seventy six. You know, you obviously Rocky as had numerous sequels, but the idea of that underdog achieving and the rags to riches story, people even say it's like like a Rocky story, isn't it? You know, it's it's the Rocky story when they're referring to any sort of underdog overcoming challenges and rising themselves up out of the gutter. Taxi Driver, you have those iconic scenes which have been parodied over and over again. Are you talking to me? It's part of popular culture. And similarly with Network, we have that as well. Network, which argue maybe not as successful as Taxi Driver, uh, as Rocky doing what it wants to do. But you have that iconic scenes, those those are kind of, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. We're mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. Those kind of things have seeped into popular culture to the point where I don't think people even know where that line comes from. 
anymore. No, no, no. No. So that's kind of interesting. That's an interesting thing to see how, how they live beyond their years. Do you, do you know, Adam, about, about network? I, I think that um, I was sort of 13, 14 in 1976. And um, uh, so I, I, I didn't really take a lot of notice of these movies until later on. I probably saw most of these on video in 1980 or 81 or maybe on TV screenings. So I didn't catch up with them until, uh, you know, three or four years later. But what I do recall from the sort of vibe and what was in the air at the time is Network is, is the one film out of these five that people were talking about. It was the one that people seemed to connect with. More, more so than Rocky, more so than Taxi Driver. Right. It was that that whole um, "I'm mad as hell" thing was sort of in the air, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely, I can see that. I, mean, I, I it's one of those ones where I think also the power of TV, it kind of like, it kind of won. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think, the, I think the message you got to fight against the network. Yeah, it, yeah. It kind of won that. So like, well, yeah. what's the point in fighting? They've already won in the mid eighties, you know. In, in Britain at that time, you know, we'd, we'd got people like Reginald Bosenkett reading the news on TV who'd sort of stumble onto news at 10 after after three hours in the pub or after downing a bottle of whiskey. He'd, he'd sort of slur out the news headlines. And you saw Peter Finch in Network and you thought, yeah, he's 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 sort of doing what Reginald Bosenkett or, or the famous clip of uh, Bill Grundy talking to the Sex Pistols around that time as well. In, yeah. in in that same year, you know, and 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 um, so you'd got these people who who were sort of TV presenters and were news readers in England, who seemed almost on the verge of what Peter Finch does in Network. You you wouldn't have been at all surprised if Reginald Bosenkett had turned up on News at Ten one night with a gun or with some mad. Uh, messianic agenda, you know, and and uh, sort of taken over the bulletin with with his own sort of pronouncement to the nation, you know, and uh, and Peter Finch then in this movie goes and does that. Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it is a fascinating movie. I mean, um, I, I watched it again yesterday just to sort of like refresh my memory on it, and in some ways it's as pertinent as ever. The sort of like you know the the, the creeping invasion of of, of the message. I guess the message going out, what people are being told, what's news, what isn't news, what's what's real, what's truth, that kind of stuff it is arguably <laughs> never more relevant than now. Um, um, but obviously, the, the, the whole network TV landscape has changed since since the seventies, and particularly in the last ten years or so, with the internet and streamers and that kind of stuff. It's a it's a very different world, but the message is still being controlled. Oh, yeah. I think one one interesting point that Network makes, which is very relevant to the events of this week, is that if if you set yourself up as some kind of messiah figure and if you issue your pronouncements to a, a large amount of potential followers, they're not all going to necessarily follow in the way that you want them to. Yeah. That every single person that you deliver your agenda to has got their own agenda and they're going to act on a mixture of what you're telling them to do and what they want to do. And we, we saw that a few days ago. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. So how, how contemporary is that movie? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, I had a few issues with it, I must admit, and it didn't hold up for me in this way that a taxi driver holds up. 
Uh, I think some of the peripheral characters, the, the sort of like um, Black Panther-esque communist leader in LA, quickly switching to a money-grabbing, I want my percentage shares, felt a bit heavy-handed, a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's, quick... that's, that's a movie character. It, it, yeah, definitely. Where, definitely. Whereas, whereas Peter Boyle in Taxi Driver isn't. He's, he's, mm. a, he's a real person, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the central characters are obviously Faith on a Wave is great in that in that lead role. And they they even do that thing which usually I hate in movies where they, they, they say this character is like this and they boil it down in bullet points. Uh, exactly how this character is and you, so you don't have to think that much you can just watch it and enjoy and that's fine but in this movie because of obviously it's it's, it's um obsession with television and with the television generation as was then boiling it down works as an aesthetic in the movie but i thought yeah i thought she was great and very deserving of the oscar win i think okay um should we move on to bound for glory one of the movies i'm less familiar with i'll be honest <laughs> Um, but Daryl, you are a big Hal Ashby fan. Um, we've talked about Hal Ashby before on this podcast. On these podcasts, um, you've made some bold claims that he's arguably the best director of films in the nineteen seventies, uh, which is a very bold statement. Um, I think so. Certainly, certainly the best American director for me. Um, he did did a string of films from The Landlord in nineteen seventy to Being There in nineteen seventy nine. So it's it's almost one one a year. He, he made seven films in that time. So, um, you know, he's banging films out, one every sort of 14 or 15 months, you know. And they're all great. And they all have something to say about the state of America. And this is his film made in the bicentennial year. And he makes a biopic of Woody Guthrie. And what, what a thing to do in the year of the American bicentennial is make a biopic about one of the great sort of challenging figures of American culture, one of the guys who didn't accept the way things were and tried to tried to change it through through song and through touring and playing his songs around the USA. And uh, yeah, I, I just think the film has got a um again it's it's got a sort of dual quality to it because it's it's got this sort of uh, um, homespun, sort of down home sort of quality to it that that ought to appeal to to middle America, and yet there's this cynicism to it as well in the fact that it's uh, it's about a character who was what one of one one of the people in that great folk music tradition that carries on to this day. I think where. Um, there's there there's a certain aspect of American folk music that sees itself again as being very left wing, very very sort of radical and very challenging to the establishment, and Guthrie is one of the people who who um, really kicked all that off. Um, so it's great that there's a film about him in 1976 in in this major year in American history, and um, yeah, but the the, the, the film is great. Um, we were talking earlier about how um, a lot of filmmakers like Martin Scorsese, for instance, had, had come through the school of new world pictures. A lot of them had worked in independent cinema from the mid 60s or early yeah. 70s. And a lot of independent films at that time were made very cheaply and they'd be shot out in sort of desert settings or they'd be shot on the back lot 
of, of, of the studio or whatever. And they have this particular look to them. Um, we've, we've talked a lot about Roger Corman on the podcast in the past. And you think about Roger Corman's films like uh, Bloody Mama and films like that. Um, and that whole aesthetic begins filtering through into major studio films in the 1970s. So you get films like Badlands that look like a, a Roger Corman film and have got the plot of a Roger Corman film, but they're being made on like 20 times the budget. And I think Bound for Glory fits into that. I mean, you've, you've got to, you've got David Carradine in it playing Woody Guthrie, who had been the star of the Boxcar Bertha, the, um, he'd been the male lead at least in the Boxcar Bertha, the Scorsese film for, for Corman. Do you think it was a sort of like the success of like the Jack Nicholson early seventies um, movies that helped this five easy pieces that kind of things because they had a similar aesthetic didn't they and they were proven box office yeah and Nicholson had worked for Ash for Ashby yeah, as well course. of course in probably Ashby's best film The Last Detail um, which is possibly Nicholson's best performance so yeah I, I think you're on to something there I think Jack Nicholson he'd come through Easy Rider which again has got that whole sort of outdoor aesthetic to it. And I think uh, Bound for Glory is akin to a film like Easy Rider in many ways. It's about an American outlaw, you know, but instead of being an outlaw in the conventional, you know, cowboy robbing banks sense, this, this guy's an outlaw in that he's traveling around the country with a guitar and happens to be saying the wrong things. He happens to be saying things that upset the apple cart and that middle America doesn't necessarily want to hear. But he's in in retrospect, he's he's absolutely right. And uh, and again, I think that gives the film a very sort of political resonance that lasts right through the decades. So it's a period story, it's a biopic, but I think it's a film that has got um a, a, a real meaning to audiences over the years since and right up to date. Well, yeah, speaking truth to power is a is a powerful message that resonates beyond exactly. beyond the years, doesn't it? I, thought, well, I was just thinking about this as, as I've, I've been looking at these Oscar, Oscar nominations this year. It's very interesting that, that they definitely depict America as a whole. So you have like Taxi Driver, CD America, CD New York. You've got Philadelphia represented in tax in, in in Rocky. You've got the Dust Bowl period of in, in Texas and things like that, and and hopping the hopping the trains with Woody Guthrie. You've got all Americans, all, all the president's men, Washington, the heart of, of political power in America, and then you've got a network which is straddled between, um, oh, arguably, it's in, it's in a different city entirely. It's the city of television. You know, it's 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 it's, it's a different part of America that's not actually physical. It's out there in people's homes. Um, yeah, so really very, very much a place though yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and yeah I, I think you're on something there adam because if you look at the oscar nominations from earlier in the 70s uh there were films like the emigrants and cries and whispers were getting nominated not as best foreign film but as as best picture and of course we've seen right up to date with parasite now now winning best picture you know that um uh, there's there's a place for foreign cinema in in the Oscars, but yeah, in 1976, it did seem to be locked off, and I, I wonder if that was something to do with the bicentennial, but maybe not in a sort of celebratory right way. Maybe it was Hollywood's take on acknowledging American history by saying, "Yeah, we'll nominate these five films that, as a collective, 
sort of tell the story of American history from a contemporary point of view. It, I mean, it definitely does that, doesn't it? But not in a way that, that in any way celebrates this country's achievements. It, it picks at them, it criticises them, it celebrates the bits that we think deserve celebrating, like the fact that Rocky Balboa can rise from nothing to the top. But it also acknowledges that our boys have just come back from Vietnam and nobody wants to help them. Mm. Yeah, it's the highs and lows of American experience. <laughs> so it's, so it's, all, it's almost all one movie in a way, you know. Yeah, it, they, they, they definitely sort of connect in, in a, a weird kind of way that, that can't have been designed. It's happened by accident, but mm. um, it's, it's been a collective accident by the people that have put the nominations together. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's a fascinating group of films. Well, let's let's move on. Let's move on to the biggest, the meat. I get arguably the meatiest film of nineteen seventy six. Would have been all the president's men. You know, made the, the year after Richard Nixon resigns due to the Watergate scandal. Um, it, it's fresh in everyone's minds. A lot of people's thoughts on what America and and the, the powers are. Um, and the powers of being respecting the president and office of the president have been shattered by this whole thing. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's an odd time in America. Their belief in, 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 in the power structure of America is fragile, to say the least. And then we get a film which is depicting the whole sordid incident in, in very exciting, uh, riveting detail with Alan J. Pakula's um, All the President's Men. Yeah, lit- literally ripped ripped from yesterday's headlines, as they yeah. used to say. Yeah, 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 and and also capping off an amazing trilogy of films by Pacula with uh, Clute, uh, the Parallax and the Parallax View, view yeah, and, yeah, and and then all the President's Men, an amazingly brilliant, yeah, uh, well, a sort of par- yeah, paranoid, trilogy. paranoid trilogy, yeah, yeah, mm. brilliant, brilliant. So Becky, you watched this again for the for the uh, for the first time recently? Oh, how you seen it before? Yeah, first, first time. time wow, yeah, okay. yeah. So. So, so okay. So, what were your what were your, what were your thoughts on obviously being uh, 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 not born in nineteen in the nineteen seventies, not being part of that as I wasn't either. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a history piece, you know. Whereas obviously when it was made at the time, like Daryl said, it was ripped from the day's headlines. Yeah. So yeah. Nick Nixon's like a hate figure for me, but maybe for you, uh, you two may judge him slightly differently. I don't know. Oh yeah, no, he's great. He's like Santa Claus. <laughs> Uh, I don't think you can come away with a good opinion of Richard Nixon from watching most of the films that are that are about him. No, no, but I'm I'm interested in the perspective though. In in that uh, I'm not suggesting anyone's going to be a fan, you know. But uh, um, <laughs> but it's all it's all about you know do people who were there and I I was only a teenager, but he was in the newspapers every day, and you sort of you got a, an idea of who who this monster was, you know. Um, do do I see him through slightly different eyes to you, and uh, and how does the film All the President's Men sort of work in in helping your your sort of perception of Richard Nixon? Mm. Yeah, go for it, Becky. <laughs> well, actually, I was thinking the same when I was watching um, watching the film because. It, like you said, Nixon, you know, was very present and was in the newspapers. I think this is the most relevant time to watch the film again in the sense of Trump <laughs> and the way that, yeah, for me, definitely. he's at your, my Nixon because, 
you know, obviously he's always in the news and always in the newspapers. And it's quite interesting about, you know, the subject of impeachment. You know, we might be facing that again. And yeah, this is a great time to watch the film again. And the same way in the sense of um, the filmmakers, it was obvious that those films had to, they felt like they, I, I got the impression, obliged to talk about the the American politics at that time. You know, it was there, it, it was there at that time to take and interpret and it's the same way now I definitely think you know there's going to be work and art around the pandemic and around Trump's um, administration and just things like that um so I would say watching all the president's men yeah it definitely is relevant and is talking about the time in which it's made but watching it back I I um, know a little bit about the um, Watergate scandal and and things like that. So it was, it came across as a very, yeah, a good film to talk about, again, with the same themes of anti-establishment and and literally the sense of, at the beginning, you know, it was kind of brushed to the side. And then as the film progresses, it's obvious that the story that they've got is, you know, is bigger and bigger. Um, And you really get that sense of journey from the beginning to the end um so it really it it really hold, held my attention throughout the film yeah it's one of those fascinating films where i don't know whether it would happen today because like i don't i i, I maybe it's just like yeah. years of being told fake news fake news fake news has finally sunk in a little bit and you don't trust in the journalism in the same way as potentially you did in the 1970s um, and that's for good or ill. I mean, at the time, people trusted in their president blindly, you know, and that was shown to be falling by these journalists, these investigative journalists. I guess years of uh, Murdoch dominating the news landscape and selling ads and that kind of stuff has eroded the sort of like the power of the investigative journalist nowadays. You don't seem, I don't, I don't believe that there is ever going to be the shocking unveiling of a scandal like that because when you unveil shocking scandals like, I don't know, uh, thousands of people uh, dying a day from a pandemic, you know, and um, um, big massive contracts going to Tory cronies, you, you get those kind of things every single day. You get these shocking news stories every single day and they just don't resonate. And I do wonder whether that, whether that dates this film more than anything else is that the belief that two people reporting for a newspaper could ever break a scandal that will have the impact that this one had. Yeah, in terms of the Oscars, of course, um, Spotlight won Best Picture a few years ago. And that's a film that seems heavily indebted to all the president's men. And that seems to back up your theory, Adam, because um, it's not a contemporary film. You know, it's... It's about events that took place in, guess what year, 1976. Mm. And set, the film itself is set in, in the early 2000s. It's set in the early part of this century, pre, pre-9-11, basically. So, uh, yeah, I think you're onto something there. I think Spotlight is set at perhaps the last time where the world's population, or the majority of it, actually believed in and trusted the news. 
Yeah, scary world. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it, and if you think think about TV at the time, we we got we got shows in certainly in Britain. I don't know if there was an American equivalent, but in in Britain we got stuff like the the things that Chris Morris and Armando Iannucci were doing on TV. Um, you know, Brass Eye and the um, on the hour on radio and uh, the day to day on TV that were sort of spoofing the news. And, and almost predicting the whole rise of fake news to the point where if you try and go back and watch those shows now, brilliant though they were, they were almost too accurate because if, if you watch them now, um, you can't tell the difference between them and watching Fox News or something basically. So, so I think Spotlight really, really sort of, um, uh, A, was very much, the 21st century equivalent of all the president's men, but B, it was clever enough to know that we can only tell this story if we tell it in an era when people actually believed in the news and trusted the the the, the news readers and the, and the news givers. Um, I think the influence of all the president's men is interesting, not just on a film like Spotlight, but you can see the influence of Pacula's uh, cinema and the whole paranoid trilogy on a film like um, uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe film, is almost like a modern day Pacula film. It's, uh, it, it, it would really fit right into that, um, that paranoid trilogy. Yeah, even to the point of casting Robert Redford to, to play on his roles in those films, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now that, that brings up a point about All the President's Men, about it's a great paranoid thriller, it's a great ripped from the headlines film, it's a great sort of dismissal of and criticism of Richard Nixon and a great forensic examination of the whole Watergate film uh, thing. But um, how great is it as a star vehicle yeah. And, and how great must it have been to be Woodward and Bernstein and be told, oh, yeah, you're going to be played in the movie by Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford. <laughs> so, but I think it really works as, as a big, a big star vehicle. Though. Well, it's, I, I, find it, I find it fascinating because obviously it's, it's like, like you say, ripped from the headlines. It's the, it's the dark underbelly of America and Washington politics. So you'd think it'd have more in common with taxi driver, network, that kind of thing. And, it, and in many ways it does. But it also has a hell of a lot in common with Rocky. Yeah. In the sense of like Woodward and Bernstein, those intrepid reporters going up against the man, going up against everything, and then finally overcoming it and, and, and releasing a story so powerful, it brings down the most powerful man in the world. Yeah. That's a rock story. It is. It's a boxing match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. With 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 a with a no hoper against the world champion. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So so yes, I guess that rounds them out. Do we do we feel picking one film above any other film any year is always a tricky choice? Do we feel the Oscars got it right? Best film, Rocky. Well. Not sure. Disagree. Like uh, for me personally, I think Taxi Driver or All the President's Men. By far, I'm I'm really curious to see why they picked Rocky. The only thing I can think of is like what um Daryl said about you know the fact that it was kind of like there does have an undercurrent of the uh, sort of negative side of America, but it's an underdog story and is in line with everything that, that that America tries to portray in the sense of the American dream. So it's like, that's the only thing I can think of. Like, 
for me. I don't know. But then again, it is, if you ask people on the street, just basically on the street, what film out of that selection do you know? I would say Rocky would be first and then second Taxi Driver. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe there's something in it that I, I didn't see. Daryl, <laughs> yeah, um, over to you for refreshment. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give a bit of a shout out to uh, uh, some of the films that maybe in other years, maybe the Outlaw Josie Wales, maybe the Man Who Fell to Earth, maybe Carrie, maybe Obsession, maybe Bugsy Malone might have got a nomination in this particular year. They they just weren't up to the mark. They're all fantastic films. They just weren't as good as the five films that got nominated here. And it's such a tough call. You were saying earlier, Adam, about is is this the greatest year in, in Oscar history? And people might say, well, there's the, the classic Hollywood year, 1939, you know. But you look at the nominations there, and I think they, they, they nominated 10 films in those days, as, as they're back to doing now. And so... You, you get Gone with the Wind, you get Wizard of Oz and so on. But then the nominations for that golden year of Hollywood lose a little bit of their quality. In 1976, I've, I've just named five films that would, would make up a fantastic set of nominees in their own right. And none of them got a sniff because you've got these five films that were even better. So I, I think it is the greatest year in the history of the Oscars for, for yes. best picture. It, all killer, no filler. Exactly. I think is exactly, exactly. the description there. <laughs> and I'm I'm not gonna say much more other than to say that if I'd been voting taxi driver. Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree with that. I think Taxi Driver for me is, is the movie that I keep coming back to year in, year out, and it still stands up as a as an amazing film then and now. Um but you, like you say, yeah, it, it's such a powerful, strong year that it's hard to be too critical of anyone yeah. winning over the other. <laughs> they couldn't get it wrong, could they? No. Well, which, whichever film won that year, yeah, we'd we'd still be saying today, well, whatever we think, it deser- it's a it's a deserving winner of the Best Picture award, and you can say that for Rocky, which did win. You could say it for Bound for Glory, which was a nominee. You could say it for all the nominees. I think if any of those had won, we'd still be saying today, yeah, it, it's it's a worthy winner. I mean, Hollywood likes movies that make money. Um, if they're proven box office successes, they like to award them for making money. So, you know, I mean, Rocky, I'm assuming Rocky was the box office hit among these nominations. I'm not that they weren't, they, not that they weren't all hits, but far and above i'm assuming rocky i haven't looked at the figures but i'm assuming rocky's the one that made the most money yeah i i got the impression with rocky that it was a bit of a sleeper hit and mm. it, it, it sort of caught it what well, i don't think it was an instant success but people who went to see it that first couple of weeks so it's one of those films where they came back and said told all their mates and their family yeah. you know oh there's this amazing film you've got to go and see it you know well, movies were released really slower back in the back in the seventies, anyway. So I mean, yeah. it, it took longer to to, to gain an, uh, an overwhelming national portrait of how the film's doing. That's the thing. This is again. This is perhaps the yet the last year of the Oscars where there's no such thing as a blockbuster, mm. which yeah. was just starting to filter in at that time. We'd had The Exorcist, we'd had Jaws, you know, but seventy six. 
you, you, your films, certainly the films that were nominated for Oscars and the films that were in contention were all sort of sleeper, wide releases, playing to that filter, you know, rather than being, they, they didn't need a big opening weekend like films do now. Well, it was one year before Star Wars was unleashed yeah, exactly, on the world, so exactly. um, it, the world changed, I think, with the release of that movie, and uh, specifically Hollywood, the way they designed releases and, and their movies changed after that year. But what a year. <laughs> Should we, we call it a day out? Let's draw the line on 1976. Um, I think we're going to have, have another look at some other years in the build-up to the Oscars this year. So uh, join us again in a few weeks' time. We'll pick out another year, and we'll... Uh, forensically analyse uh, what, what was going on. Maybe we'll look at 1939, as Daryl suggested then. Um, it might be a fun one to look at. Uh, thank you very much for coming back and enjoying us in the new year. Again, as always, I want to thank BFI and Quad for allowing us to do these podcasts, supporting us through these podcasts. Please do tell your friends, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next one. Take care.